with you today or electronic, I encourage you to open it up with me at Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're on the screen, reading from a version called the New International Version. And we're going to read from verse 39 of Luke chapter 1 through to verse 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Father, thank you for the scriptures, the story that has been told to us, recounted, recorded. And it's not just a history lesson. It's gospel. It's good news. I pray we'd all be open afresh to good news. I pray we'd all be open to hear and marvel and receive and be stirred and changed by this message and the one to whom it points, Jesus Christ. Help us as we listen, as we speak, as we reflect, as we learn, as we are challenged. Not to lose anything that is good and helpful. strengthen as we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There's been in this last year a couple of moments that um, I was kind of like surprised by and and caught a little bit unawares. Uh, So once I was coming, I was just walking down the high street and the nature of this job is that uh, you, you get to meet a lot of people. There's all you and, your, and it's great to get to know you and your faces and names. Um, 
it's one of the things we really try to do. And, and when we have visitors, uh, we try and remember names. It takes us a bit of time. There's quite a lot of you, uh, but it, which we try really hard at that. But because of that, and, and in all sorts of encounters through the week and the years, you get to see an awful lot of faces. So I was walking down the high street, and I kind of almost bumped into someone coming out of one stop. And his face was familiar. And I kind of thought, I know that face. Where do I know that face? Where, which service, which wedding, or, or which kind of other event have I known? And I was kind of like, and he smiled at me. And that made me thought, oh, we kind of knew each other, I guess, somehow. And then I was walking, and I looked around, and he sort of went off down. And I thought, that wasn't someone. That was someone famous. <laughs> do you know who it was? I kind of, I was like, I was racking my brain. I was thinking, I knew that he was in the League of Gentlemen. And actually, I knew him better from the Harry Potter series of films. It was none other than Ron Weasley's dad. (laughs) Dan's really not looking impressed on the front row. It's like, who? (laughs) He's quite tall. He's called, um, what's he called? Mark Williams. Yeah. Phil's like, oh, yeah, I know. I was like, and I was kind of like, oh, gosh. Someone famous. I had another encounter where I was a little bit kind of like surprised that I was uh, coming back from uh, a holiday earlier in the year with some friends and I was on the aeroplane and there was someone who was acting a bit odd because all the way on the plane, it's kind of warm summer, he had a um, uh, what they call baseball hat on and kind of collar up and, uh, and I kept noticing people a bit twitchy and I thought, I wonder who that is. And then I suddenly realized, and I was like, you're so not blending in, trying to look ordinary and incognito on this plane. Michael McIntyre. And he had that funny little walk. And he had this sort of slightly loud baseball hat on that meant, I don't want to be seen, but really I do. And I was like, you had that really awkwardness of now what do you do? You've spotted someone that's famous. Do you kind of go up and say, can I have a selfie? And I thought, no, he's on holiday with his family. I'll just look from a distance and be curious. Anyway, no, that wasn't what I did. I was kind of slightly surprised and like, oh, I've met someone famous. The gospel story has got an even more wonderful encounter. The Mary, young Mary, teenage Mary, has had this most amazing encounter with the heavenly being, Gabriel, the awesome angel. And the angel has announced... The annunciation to Mary, you're going to be overshadowed, you're going to have a baby. And there's all sorts of complexity because she's engaged and, and Joseph doesn't know anything about it. And it's a small town in Nazareth. And you, you Phil really powerfully explained that last week. And the angel also says that your elderly relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. Now, we don't really know why Mary goes to Elizabeth. It may be because elderly relative Elizabeth is pregnant and, uh, and she's overjoyed and wants to kind of go and pay a visit and say, we're so thrilled for you. And, uh, and Zachariah, that you are having a child together. Um, Zachariah doesn't feature in the story because he can't talk at this point. Um, you have to read the story to find out why. That's in Luke's gospel as well. It may also be be because of the scandal. It may also be because Mary in her small town is thinking it's just a bit too uh, uncomfortable and inconvenient and people are talking and curtains are rustling and kind of point fingers being wagged. And she thinks, let's go. And she goes 
to be with Elizabeth for three months. We're told, what a house guest, uh, that they are together. But as Mary enters into the home and as they greet each other, Mary very, very early in, in, uh, in her pregnancy, Elizabeth further on, this wonderful moment of, of joy that Elizabeth encounters. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she senses, she, she feels in her, her, her womb the baby, John the Baptist, as he's later to become called, John, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that this is one of the grand themes of Luke's gospel. That when people recognize who Jesus is, joy comes. And right from the outset, from uh, in, in, in the womb of Elizabeth, that new life, that precious child, John, and Elizabeth recognize the presence of the divine, the presence of, of the Son of God, the joy that comes. That, that theme gets extended all the way through the Gospel of Luke of who can see and who uh, knows. And there's always joy that accomp- accompanies that recognition of here is the Messiah. Here is the Savior. Here is the Rescuer. Here is the hope of the nations. Recognition of who Jesus was. How much more joy than I experienced meeting Harry Ron Weasley's dad in the high street. And Michael McIntyre in his cap. Jump for joy. And uh, Elizabeth goes on to, to speak blessing, uh, blessed. And, and there's two words just used in there. And I, as I was reading that and thinking about it in verse 42, uh, there's a word uh, that we're told in a loud voice. She exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. And then Again, in verse 45, it talks uh, about blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. They're, they're not the same word in Greek. The first one is a word that means, uh, it's, it's kind of where we get our word eulogy from. You, kind of EU, it's not you, EU, uh, not the European Union either, just to say, just to make sure we're clear. Uh, EU, the eulogy, Eucharist, that's what it means, to, to, is something good to give thanks, the Eucharist. And so Mary, uh, Elizabeth is, is speaking words of blessing, words of thankfulness. She declares it. She speaks it in the presence of and the company of Jesus. And the second word that, uh, that she uses in verse 45 is, is a word that is uh, the same translation in the, the Beatitudes in, in um, Matthew 5. Uh, that speaking of blessed are, blessed are. Just as, as a, a very small point, and there's a challenge at this Christmas season here um, I know what it's like to be in the, uh, the queue for the checkout that is a mile long and someone cuts in front of you. I know what it's like to be trying to get the parking space in the supermarket as close as you can, not in the outer orbit of the car park and fight through the trolleys. I know what it's like 
because I was with some friends and, and the children were tired and getting really ratty and kept bursting into tears and the stress level was going up. I know what this season can be like. I know what it's like to be in a family. Of course, we know we've all been part of that. Where the hoovering hasn't been done or the mess has been left out or the, you know, all that. I just encourages us to speak words of goodness, of kindness, of blessing, good words over each other, of honoring each other, of honoring your family, honoring your parents, of speaking well and kindly. And so Elizabeth speaks, reminds and says, for joy has come into my life. Filled with the Holy Spirit. She recognizes the presence of the divine amongst them. And then Mary responds. Mary, this teenager, she responds with uh, this, these words, this prayer. Actually, probably a song. It's called the Magnificat. Have you heard that word? Mary's song. I want to read uh, that to you. We've read it in the NIV. I want to read it to you in... Um, the, the message version. We didn't quite understand why it's called the Magnificat from the NIV. The first um, line of it, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In um, other versions, that would be my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get, it's a Latin word. It comes, that's where we get Magnificat, magnifies. So I'll explain that in a minute. But Eugene Peterson in the message um, translation says it like this. And Mary said... I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my saviour God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all the others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattering the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then went to her own home. The Magnificat, the song of Mary, this tender song in response to the blessing that Elizabeth has spoken. The Magnificat, this song, is an amazing song. It's, it's just worth reminding ourselves of, of the, what is taking place here. We, we look back at it and know this is an important moment. We look back at it and know this is a foundational story. We look back at it because it's the heart of the Christmas story that is spoken of again and again. And we read it this season again and again. And, and many people know it. But at the time, it took place in the nowhere. It took place in the village. It took place amongst two women. It took place amongst some small dwellings. It took place out of sight and out of mind 
and almost unnoticed. That the work and the move of God didn't come into the great and the mighty and the central places and the corridors of power. But in Elizabeth and Mary. Again and again, we see the intervention of God who does intervene, who is at work in our world. And so very often, amongst not the great and the powerful and the famous, but those of simple heart, who think, where do I fit in into the grand scheme of things? I'm so ordinary. But God, through whom does the extraordinary? The celebrants of the birth were the shepherds. The location on the edge of Bethlehem. And the amazing wise men from the east came, the Magi. And and yeah, they were quite important following the star. And they went to the places with guards and pomp and ceremony. And said, where's this king? What king? Who? And the, 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 the learned said, oh yeah, in Bethlehem. So off. They went. I just wanted to remind us in the faith of the Christmas story that God is at work, often in the unseen. God, God is at work still, often in the hearts of the ordinary. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. As we look back and we, we celebrate those who have been uh, great saints and we know their names now. They, they were people who trusted God at his word. A bit like Mary and said, as, as God has said, as God has directed, I will choose to trust in what you are doing and I will step out in faith. Accomplish in me what you will. And we look back and, and see the William Booths or the Hudson Taylors or the William Careys or... or the Simon Kirby's of Cap or, or whoever it would be that would say, oh, they're amazing. But it started in the ordinary and trusting in the extraordinary God who accomplishes great things. It seems to me that one of the keys for this is simply in those for whom God calls and he calls each one of us. It's simply like Mary Okay, Jesus. Okay, Lord. Okay, God. Whatever you would will in me, I will be your servant. What may God do through you? With a willing heart, like Mary, who said, Be it as the Lord wills. I am the Lord's servant. Here I am. You only have to look back through the, the continued story of, of the Old Testament and the New. Abraham, a, a nomadic wanderer with some, some livestock in the far end of the Middle East. God says, Abraham, I've chosen you. Abraham said, okay, I'll go. One of the great resonances in the Old Testament is, the, is Hannah in 1 Samuel. That the, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, parallels in, in so many ways. But if you read the story in the opening uh, 
uh, portion of the first, uh, first Samuel in the Old Testament, there is, is Hannah that she can't conceive and she's crying out to the Lord and everyone kind of mocks her. And the Lord hears her prayer and she gives birth to Samuel, one of the most amazing prophets of the Old Testament. Again and again and again. Those who call upon the Lord say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. But the Lord works remarkably through. And so Mary sings. Someone has described the Christian faith as a singing faith. Isn't that great? A singing faith. Some, someone uh, came to our church uh, a few weeks ago and said, um, never been to our church before, and it was from a uh, kind of quite a um, traditional, t- occasional um, church background. And he came to the service and he said, I really like the songs that you sing here. I was glad. Glad about that. We're a singing faith. Mary sings in response to all that the Lord has done. It's an amazing song. Uh, It it is an amazing song. It's not quite like a lot of the worship songs that we sing. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. But it is is parallel very much to to so many of the songs, particularly of of Hannah, but but through the Psalms as well and in other places in uh, in, in the Old Testament especially. There is this twofold theme of of what she sings she sings of god's goodness to her particularly of the personal of the involved of her but also it's to do with the nations and the bigger and the broader this song of praise in the action of god there's 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 part of it that sings about how uh, God is the divine warrior, the mighty, the strength uh, that, that he has uh, scattered the proud and he brings down the powerful. The God in Mary's song and so much of the songs that are sung in response to the saving, delivering acts of God are about God as a warrior. God as king. God as the deliverer, the strong one. Miriam's song on the side of the Red Sea was about the first time that God is portrayed as God, the warrior God, the king of his people. Hannah sings that in 1 Samuel. Mary declares that. The Lord is the divine warrior, the mighty one, the strong one, the one who scatters the proud and brings down the powerful. But alongside that, that declaration of God's strength, that he hasn't forgotten, that he isn't kind of weak and marginalized. God's might. Alongside that, there are those tender declarations of, of who God is as the servant of the mercy of God. That he cares for the lowly, that his mercy is unending. Not just to her, but to the whole world. These two depictions of God, that he's looked down on favor, that he is holy that he is merciful to those who fear him, that he lifts up the lowly, that he fills the hungry. He is the helper. Wonderfully true. In our worship this Christmas, as we gather to sing with Sing for Syria, 
As Phil and I were, were talking about it uh, back last month of what we, a focus for our carol service would be about and why. And we're, we're very glad for Open Doors for this material. But to remind ourselves in this Christmas season that can become a little bit encapsulated in, in saccharine icing sugar. I love icing, by the way. But it's kind of easy to make Christmas be this sort of shiny bauble that we kind of take out and enjoy and then we put away. And then we're back to the bleakness of January and the the graft of life and the kind of concern of our age. But the song of Mary and what we're hoping for, not to make it miserable as a carol, but to lift up the glory of Jesus as Mary did, but recognize that this place is a tough place, but God is at work in amongst it. That if we just so compartmentalize Christmas as seeing it as just something precious to be held for a few short days and then we move on again. It was just something for the children. We've lost sight of what the Christmas story is. It's about the rescuer. It's about God intervening into the darkness. It's about a defense of the lowly, the toppling of the powerful, of bringing down the human rulers who are unjust and corrupt to make space for the different kingdom that will last and endure. See, the Christmas story affects our living. One example of that is, is very early on in the church, in the second century, 111 AD, uh, someone who you've probably heard of, perhaps, if you've um, been around much in the Christian world, Pliny the Younger. Uh, we never hear of Pliny the, uh, the Older. We don't know what happened to Pliny the Older, but Pliny the Younger wrote a series of letters to uh, a Roman emperor, Trajan, in AD 111. And um, he was asking for, he wasn't a believer, he was asking, he was a kind of ruler, local ruler, um, administrator. He was asking for advice on how to deal with what he described in these letters to the emperor as the contagion of superstition spreading across the region. And he was referring to the continued growth and, uh, and multiplication of Christians, of churches, of gatherings of believers. And in these letters, he writes to the emperor and says, I need some help because it, nothing I do seems to stop them. He describes how uh, he could, had continued to interrogate and violate and execute many of the Christians in his province. And is it his frustration at failing to quench their growth, their influence. He also indicated the only thing uh, cited as the conclusive evidence of their faith and loyalty to Jesus above the emperor was not what they believed, but what they did. He said this, in the case of those who are accused to be as Christians, the sum total of their guilt or error is that they met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses amongst themselves in honor of Christ. That it was their gathered, sung worship that marked them out as followers of Jesus. It was their involvement in gathered worship in the eyes of the Romans, that conclusively identified them as followers of Jesus and in many cases convicted them as such. Our faith is a sung faith. A sung faith about Jesus and his reign and his rule. The Magnificat. My soul magnifies 
the Lord. What does she mean? Um, I've been uh, aware that in this past year I've, I've needed these from time to time. Hermie, well, Hermie's gone out, hasn't she? She's been waiting for me to see me wear these. Um, I've got to that age where I need a bit of magnification uh, to help me. I kind of bring them now, particularly in the evening service, because it's a bit darker at this time of year, and I found myself kind of like, oh gosh, what's this text saying? It's nice and bright, so I don't need them. I need a little bit of magnification. It makes things bigger. When I used to work with Phil, do you remember the magnifying machine, Phil? The, we, uh, Phil and I used to work together in Leon C and Phil uh, was invited to do this event at a church in Frinton and he came up with this great idea for the children's talk about the magnifying machine and, and it was this big box and Phil had uh, all these little kind of mini- had a little miniature action man and, and what else did you have? we have? We had a little diver in there, a, little kind of, a bottle, a little bar of chocolate um, and the idea of this machine was that, that, that Phil would... to the great astonishment of everyone gathered, would pop in this small little bit of chocolate and the machine, this wonderfully created box, would make a bit of a noise and he'd sort of do some great expression of amazement. And out would come one of those enormous bars of chocolate. It would make it bigger. It was classic. We went on tour with that. You see... I was the machine. No one knew I was. I had to hide from the beginning of the service in this box and be ever so, ever so quiet. And you got this little musical instrument. I had to like press some notes and go, and I had to hand up the appropriate thing. And the really fun thing at the end was, we should reenact it, Phil, shouldn't we? (laughs) Was he put on this little action diver figure and he popped it in and everyone's going, what's going to come out of here now? And not only had I been in there from the start of the service, because I, I like diving, I was in my dry suit, in my flippers, with my face mask and snorkel. And in popped this little action figure. I had to press this, and then out of it comes me, like, flapping around. Those were the days, I The magnifying machine. When we talk about glorifying God or magnifying God, we're not saying by our singing we make him bigger because he is already God. Whether we worship him or not, he is already amazingly wonderful. And it's our joy to get to know him. So what does Mary mean when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my God? She is saying, I make him bigger, not in his being, not in his reality. But she's saying, as I worship, as I make room for him in my life, as I lay myself as his servant, my desire is that he becomes bigger and bigger in my life. That through her witness, through her example, the glory of God is made yet more obvious for people to see. It's not about making God bigger in his state. He is already glorious and almighty and fills the heavens and beyond. But she's saying in my relationship with him. 
in my understanding of him. In his repute in the world through me, may he be enlarged. My soul to magnify the Lord. You see, worship in the song of Mary is constantly to seek to make God's impact on our, in our lives greater and more significant. And the impact of the other things that are smaller and less significant and tiresome and entangling to become less and less. Do you see? My soul magnifies the Lord. And Mary has such a wonderful place in our story, not just at Christmas, but in the example that she is. That she said as a small, someone from a small town, village, rural life, probably, well, most definitely uneducated. She prayed, she spoke, she sung, I want to make God as important as I possibly can in my life. Wow. And what an impact she had. The impact of God's mercy in her. And that she was never to be the same again. And as she said, yes, Lord, the outworking of God in her life into the wider world. See, that's part of what we are called to remember at Christmas. Part of what we are called week by week, day by day as worshippers. Yes, in song, but in so many more ways to magnify and glorify and center Jesus in our life, to make him as great as possible. The Magnificat. A famous song that prompts us in worship, a famous song that reminds us of God building his kingdom, that Jesus is personal. But his work is social and political. Someone this week asked me, do you ever preach about politics in your church? And I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> we don't necessarily kind of go through the withdrawal bill and the withdrawal act. But I hope in the reading of the scriptures and in the little hooks that we hang out there, you recognize that it's not just inward and, and a holy huddle. And I'm so thankful that we have a food bank and the Renew 55 Cafe, and I'm so thankful for our work in our community and our work with partners overseas, and I'm so thankful for the dozens of ways that you, as sisters and brothers, make Jesus real. For Darren's giving out wash kits to the homeless. For all your involvements in, on trusts and boards with organizations and endeavors to make Jesus known in this world difference. And Mary sings of it because it's the purposes 
of God. And this Christmas time, in this world of politics and the economies and the consumerism, we hear Mary's song. And in the midst of it, we hear of a God who sides for the poor. I want to tell you the story of, of a man called Meritus. And he was a learned man, a scholar in the Middle Ages who moved from place to place, a bit of a nomad. And he looked a bit ramshackled and hoboish along with it. And he was going through Italy, and in one town he became quite ill and was taken to a hospital for the poor. And as Maritus lay in his bed, he heard the doctors discussing his case in Latin. They didn't think he would understand because he looked like a hobo. And they were saying, well, we could try stuff, but really, this is just a worthless wanderer. Maybe we could use him for medical experiments. At this point, Muritus looked up and answered them in Latin, good Latin. Call no man worthless for whom Christ died. How right he was. In God's sight, nobody is the worthless. And Mary sings and glorifies God most high. And opens up her life and says, through me, Lord, may you be glorified. And through her service and her ministry, in bringing to birth Jesus, the savior of the world, we see the impact and the legacy of that truth for whom Christ died. The last and the least and the lost are loved. You and I cherished. I pray that would be our song this Christmas. May our soul magnify the Lord. Amen. Amen. Alan.